This morning, we're going to see right out of the gates um, that God, who has created all things from nothing, is to be praised as creator, even before he's to be praised as redeemer. God, who created all things from nothing, is to be praised as creator, even before he is to be praised as our redeemer. Often we we praise God for saving us, and that's good, and it's right. You'll hear me actually uh, kind of turn that page at the end of our message today, and it's good, and it's right, and we ought to. But before we praise God for what he has done for us, we are always to praise God for who he is. The fourth and fifth chapters at the end of your Bible in the book of Revelation contain just a wonderful hymn of praise to God. A a couple of them actually, uh, four or five brief hymns of praise to the Lord. And God is praised by living creatures and by the 24 elders uh, for being, just God's being, and for creating. Listen to verses 8 and 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. These are creatures that don't walk around the earth. These are creatures that don't swim under the sea. These are creatures that God created, that God and the angels see in the spiritual places that we don't even see, except for as they're described for our understanding in Revelation. Full of eyes all around and within. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. In verse 11, the 24 elders say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for, or because, you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we praise God. Francis Schaeffer in Genesis and Time and Space says, Our praise to God is not, first of all, uh, David, heads up, I'm coughing a lot today. (laughs) I'll try to turn it off when I can, but I won't be able to catch them all. Or Sherilyn, it'll be a busy editing week. Francis Schaeffer said, Our praise to God is not, first of all, in the area of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. If we're being fully scriptural, we don't praise him first because he saved us, but because he is there and he has always been there. And we praise him because he willed all other things, including man, into existence. So God is to be praised as creator, even before he's to be praised as redeemer. In ancient Hebrew days, This was a very polytheistic people. They worshiped many gods. Why? Well, because they conjured them up in their imaginations and they worshiped them. Many gods, lowercase g, because there is only one God. And they would conjure up these ideas and they would worship creation and and divinify, if that's even a word, I just made it up, God's creation. And God takes issue with that. This is a grave error, friends. Our purpose in understanding the word of God is first and foremost to understand God as he has revealed himself to us and to worship and praise him for the creator that he is. 
God gave light givers. The one who created light on the first day also gave us light givers. Remember, initially God created light that wasn't attached to a source because God is the source. And so there was, you might think of it as ambient light or or something of of that effect, but not light that was coming from the sun because there was no sun at this time. And in verses 14 through 19, we see that God creates light givers. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be these lights for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be as lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. You're just going to see that pattern over and over again. God said it and it was so. God said it and it was so. God saw it and it was good. And God made the two great lights, verse 16, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them. I just love that. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and to rule over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God has formed the earth according to his perfect, intentional design. And now we see that God is filling the earth, first and foremost here, with with light givers on the fourth day. God gave these light bearers, these luminaries, as beacons or as, as signals of light, right? Think about it. If you're out on the, out on the ocean and, and you look at the shore and you see these, uh, and you see these lighthouses, right? The sun and the moon, they're like lighthouses on a jagged shore that let you know where you are. They give you perspective. They help us understand time to separate the day for the night from the night and, and for seasons and for days and for years. Think about how the sun just works. Let's just think with our natural minds here with what God is helping us to see. The sun changes the climate. We've experienced that drastically in the last 10 days. The sun affects the climate. The earth orbits around the sun once every 365.2 days, which is why we have leap years. Kind of like figure out how to best catch up time with, uh, so that our seasons and our days and our years have consistency to them. Now, the sun affects, it brings growing seasons. And with the earth on a tilt, spinning and moving around the sun, we have dormant seasons. I remember, um, well, let me just say this first. The sun is 93 million miles away. It's exactly the right location, right? You've heard people talk about this frequently. If we were any closer, or I should say much closer, we'd burn up. If we were further away, we'd freeze. We were at just the right location to have life-sustaining heat and cool at just the right temperature for just the right amount of Time. Just thinking about the axis of the earth. I remember living in Alaska for my high school years and I loved living up there. We lived in outside of Anchorage and um, it would, uh, you, you may know that uh, in Alaska, you have this period of time that's much darker for much longer, right? Basically between winter solstice and summer solstice, solstice you gain about six minutes of daylight per day. Uh, and then obviously the reverse is, is true between uh, summer solstice and winter solstice, you lose about 
six minutes of daylight per day. And so the shortest days, uh, we really don't see the sun come up. I mean, it just would come up and just kind of dip across the horizon. And um, we'd go to school and come home in the dark. Um, so, you know, I, I know, I know some of you think I live my life in the dark, but there was a time period when <laughs> I lived in a little bit more darkness spiritually too. But it was, uh, it was white on the ground, like all over was white. And, um, and so, you know, people have asked, well, how was it? Um, you know, living in that darkness for that amount of time. And it didn't really affect me. Some people really wrestled with, you know, what they call um, seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Um, and, it, and it does affect people. It, it does affect people physiologically. I just, it's never really affected me. So I don't think about it too much. I just simply say, well, there was a lot of white everywhere and the moon was closer. And I know that sounds really weird to say the moon was closer, but it's noticeably closer if you live in those kinds of areas, uh, far enough north. Or, and, um, and so everything just seemed brighter because it would reflect off of this beautiful white snow everywhere. And, uh, and you, could, you, you could really see just fine. It just felt like dusk all the time. And then on the longest days, right, you just see the sun kind of go around in the sky. And, you know, mom and dad have to learn real quickly when we moved up there, you know. Well, okay, come home at dark. Got it. That works like once. That's it. But I was always looking for the loophole. God has fixed his sovereign eye on the earth. He has created the heavens and the earth, and he has begun to focus his attention on this massive to us. But when you consider the galaxies, oh, fit on the pin of a head, it would seem like. And God continually moves closer and zooms his focus in on, on planet earth and even more so on creating life and sustaining life and on, as we'll see next week, mankind. And it was so. Don't ever read over simple phrases like God said, and it was so sort of like just matter of fact. I mean, that should sort of stop you in your tracks every time you read about it or read it in Genesis. It happens several times uh, in, in these passages, right? We've seen it for the fourth time now, and it happens six times. But when you read your Bible, don't just, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, ho-hum. God created the heavens and the earth. Exactly, Christian. That's exactly right. That ought to wow us every time. Every time. God said, occurs 10 times here, and this is the first of seven of these, was followed by a creative command beginning with this imperative, let there be. That's a command. When God commands, it happens. God is to be praised as creator even before he's to be praised as redeemer because everything God commands comes into being just as he wills. And we're to worship him. We're to praise him. We're to stand in awe of him. Sometimes I said this a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes the application is just step back, be quiet and stand in awe. I heard a, a preacher one time talking about uh, pornography and, and the like, and said, when you're tempted, when you're facing a temptation, just 
Get out of the dark room that you're in. Get out of the dark space you're in. Go outside and look at the sky. And immediately you'll realize just how small you are. You want to mess around with that kind of darkness? No. Look at the bigness, the majesty of God. By seeing God's creation and worship him. You know, as we think about the earth, the, the Bible says here, God made two great lights, the, the, the great light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. We're, we're rule just is talking about to be the primary source of light giving in that time period, right? Their purpose is to give light on the earth. Now just think about the earth's size for a minute. Um, I, I could give so many things here, but I'm just going to give you one or two here. Mount Everest on the China, China and Nepal border, um, we know, right? It's the Earth's tallest mountain. It stands about 29, just over 29,000 feet tall, right? They have some debate by about 12 feet on how tall it is. I'm like, 29,000 sounds good to me. But 29,000 feet at its summit. And every year, about 800 people who have spent years preparing and training and studying this mountain apply for permits to climb Mount Everest, there are about 10 other mountains on earth within about a thousand feet of the height of Mount Everest. That is a lot of majestic beauty. Let me tell you, Nepal is the place to be from that standpoint. That is a lot of majestic beauty. Just in, on that side of the earth, the earth is massive talking about these mountains. And I've seen mountains much, much, much smaller that are massive. And did you know that about 1.3 million earths, 1.3 million earths with about 10, 29,000 foot mountains, 1.3 million earths would fit in the sun. And the sun, you could say is thousands of times smaller than many of the other bodies that the Lord God spoke into existence out there. And the Lord focuses his eye on the earth. I'm going to do something with that place. And then I love the end of verse 16. He's created these lights and he talks about, there's a, a great deal when you look at uh, how creation is described. There's some very quick things that are said. But Moses spends a little bit of time here on these two great lights. And in the end of, verse, end of verse 16, just the last phrase, and the stars. And the stars, which are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of time, many of them larger than the earth. Oh, and the stars. God made them. Every single one, and he named them. Like, who's got time for that? Well, it doesn't take the Lord time to do things that would take us time to do. The Lord named them. He, he knows the stars. And God made the, the moon. The whole focus is what God will do with earth. And God gave the, the sun and the moon as lights. Now we know that, that these two sources of light, one of them is not really a source. I mean, it gives us light at night. It appears like it's a source of light, but all it's doing is reflecting the majesty, the, 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 the magnanimous light that flows from this ball of flames up in the sky. 
and it reflects off the moon and it's enough to light the earth. And God says, you and I are to reflect the glory of the sun, S-O-N. The source doesn't come from within us. We don't find it from within ourselves, but we reflect the beauty of Christ as the Lord indwells us and God works in ways that we could never fathom through us as we reflect the sun. Now notice the language I said is, is focusing us unequivocally on what God is doing with earth here for his majestic power and his glory. Primarily because the way he speaks about creation is that these polytheistic, remember, they worshiped all kinds of lowercase gods that they would formulate in their minds, right? The mythology of these pagans, this, they had sun gods and, and moon gods and this whole astrological arrangement from the worship of, of the pagans, right? They thought that these heavenly orbs and, and as they thought of these as objects of worship, not God. You see, they saw the sun and they worshiped the sun and the moon gods and you name it, it was created and they would find a way to worship, it seemed like, right? Like a, like a genie in a bottle that would say, we don't understand life, so we're going to worship this thing that causes things to grow. And then they stop growing and they formulate a reason for why this God goes away for a time period or, or dies or whatever the case might be, but then comes back. Alan Ross, wonderful commentator and theologian, concludes rightly how, and I choose the word ridiculous here, but how ridiculous it was to follow the astrological charts of the Babylonians or to look to the sun god of the Egyptians thinking <coughs> thinking that the answers to destiny were there. Rather, Israel, remember Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is written for Israel as they're getting ready to go to Canaan. And God is saying, wait, don't worship all those gods, worship me. And so God says to Israel that must trust in the personal God who created all of these stars and planets by his word. And they must give no confidence or credence or respect to the God of these pagans. Listen to what, what the Lord speaks through Moses. And Moses gives this command in Deuteronomy, speaking about Mount Horeb and, and, and the Ten Commandments and Moses going up and down and up and down breaking things and people saying, well, you know, they made me do it or we just threw in this gold and and out came a calf. I mean, I just love that. That's how we do it too, by the way. But we just threw in the gold and out came a calf. And the Lord reminds them of this. He says, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making carved images for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of an animal that is on the earth, the likeness of winged birds that fly in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of fish uh, that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heavens. And when you see the sun and you the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you see what he's doing. He's just methodically going through everything that God has created and says, don't worship that. Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, that you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted means given, assigned to, 
has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Friend, I need to ask, what is there under all the host of heaven that you bow down to in this world? I don't worship moon gods. That's silly. Okay. You worship money? What it can bring you? You worship a relationship? That's a created thing, by the way. You worship a job, a status? A substance? A feeling, a church, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And on the fifth and sixth day, God gives life and blessing. God gives the blessing of life. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves uh, with, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. You see that repetitious phrase? And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. The Lord God continues. He's filling the earth with sea creatures and with birds. And we see this great variety of creatures that God has made. He made them at the same time. On the fifth day, God made them. And he made them grown enough to fly, to swim, to walk, whatever it was that they were purposed to do. God made them. He spoke them into existence, all of their internal organs and how they function and, and just the whole uh, who eats who and how this all works. God made them all according to their kinds. They did not evolve over thousands or millions of years. Now, we all know that within a particular kind, there are um, uh, there are. Uh, transformations or growth within kinds. But one animal does not become the animal of another kind. That never happens. Fossil records have demonstrated that that's never happened. Or I should say they have never found any fossil records that support their stories is the way I should say that. Their fabrication. God says that on the fifth day, on the fifth day when there's morning and evening, or rather evening and morning, God made them. Uh, plant life, you may be thinking, well, what about plants that we heard about last week? Uh, the Hebrews didn't consider plants um, living things. So it's not spoken of in the same way. This word um, that means um, life or become later, nefesh, we refer to as, as living or our soul. They didn't think of that with uh, plants at that time as living things. God created animal life separately 
Um, not, not animals didn't come from plants or any other form. What God wanted there to be, he said, and there was. When you think about how a watch is made or, or how a chair that you're sitting on is made or how this building comes together, you think there's a designer. We just naturally know somebody put it together. And this is true of God. God singles out the great sea creature because uh, the pagans worship great sea creatures as dragons and as monsters that, that were in rebellion and that needed to be subdued. Right? The, the, the Canaanites, it's, it's sort of like what we would call the Leviathan. They worshiped a creature. And, and the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is putting that view in its right place. Saying, no, no, God created everything that was. If it's in the oceans and it's massive, God made it. It's not to be subdued by any pagan uh, worship. It's not to be uh, worshiped as gods. Just another part of God's perfect and harmonious, beautiful, wonderful creation. And God gives here the blessing of of fertility. God is the one who is the source of all life and all fertility. It's God. There is no fertility God. There's the almighty God, the majestic God. Great and small, God is made them all. And every animal is created according to its kind. You think about the blue whale, which is in the ocean and it weighs 198 tons. It's nearly a hundred feet long. Just their tongues weigh as much as an African elephant. Their heart weighs as much as a car. God made it. There are Creatures so small that the human eye cannot see it on their own. Where a a drop of water in a ditch would hold 500 million microscopic creatures that are so small that a teaspoon of water would seem to them as the Atlantic Ocean does to you and I. Now, before you try to figure out what to do with all that, I'll just tell you. Wow. There's a song we've done in in, uh, Vacation Bible School a couple years, and it's just called The God of Wow. You're the God of wow. Amazing. How could this be? You're the God of whoa. more than I could ever, ever dream. The more I think about you, exclamation points abound. Just exclamation points. Wow, you're amazing. The more I think about you, exclamation points abound to the God of wow. Sometimes adults need to bring down our language a little bit and just say, Worship, fear, reverence, yeah, all of those things. Wow, God. Sometimes our pursuit of knowledge for its own end or for humanistic purposes can be a God unto itself. As we try to understand he who is 
incomprehensible and yet has made himself known. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then on the sixth day, God continues his work of creating and creating life and blessing it with land animals. And you notice here this pattern that continues from the God who's to be praised as a creator even before he's to be praised as our redeemer. And God said, verse 24, and it was so. And God made, verse 25, and God saw that it was good. You think about animals, these verses talk about, verses 24 and 25. These are living creatures according to their kinds, beasts of the earth. These are animals that are not easily tamed, large uh, mammals, large animals that walk across the face of the earth. Livestock, these will be animals that are more easily tamed. And creeping things, animals with short legs whose bellies are really, really close to the ground as they walk. And Jesus picks up a cue, takes a cue from creation here in uh, in Matthew 6, but Jesus picks up on God's creative work, which, by the way, remember, Jesus was engaged in creation. Colossians 1.16 tells us, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, all things, say it, all things were created through him or by him and for him. And so speaking about worry and anxiety, Jesus brings people right back to God's creation. Look at the birds of the air. See them flittering around? Those birds of the air that I made? They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not, from the God who created the heavens and the earth, and on day one, and day two, and day three, and day four, and day five, and day six, and then day six, which we'll look at more next week, he created mankind. Are you not of more value than these birds? Of course you are, is the rhetorical answer. So don't worry about tomorrow. Let me take care of it. I'll take care of you today. Look at me and worship me. Creation comes to its climax in uh, the second uh, part, if you will, of day six, which we'll look at next week. But friends, the same message that God gave Moses to communicate to Israel some 4,000 or so years ago, God gave to Paul. That same message is, is true as Paul communicates it, as he ministered, and it is true for us today. God is to be praised as, our, praised as creator even before he's praised as redeemer. Practically, God is to be praised for who he is before what he does. Always, every time. You might say that God must be praised as creator before you can praise him as redeemer. But I want you to listen to Romans 1, and I'm going to read a lengthy passage. Romans 1, 18 through 32, for the wrath of God. I just need to tell you that the word wrath of God means God's righteous anger that must be fiercely poured out on sin. It doesn't mean God's slight displeasure. It means wrath. And everything you think it might mean, it means. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress. Suppress is never passive. Suppress means God's truth keeps coming, keeps coming to us, we keep pushing it down. God's truth comes to us, we push it down. 
God's truth comes to us, we suppress it. We won't let it come into our lives or our hearts. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world way back then in the things that have been made. So they, mankind, are without excuse. For although they, they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, they became futile, like a, like a dead end in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to become wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I read that uh, poorly. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, suppressing the truth for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up. You want this so bad you're going to keep suppressing truth? Okay. I'm going to give you up to it in the lusts of their heart, the passions of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations uh, to those who were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations and women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. And they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And I'm going to keep going, but I just want you to notice at times we focus on some sin and we overlook as we suppress the truth in unrighteousness all of these everyday acts of unrighteousness that are in this very same list. Full of envy, murder, strife, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, (laughs) disobedient to parents, catch that kids it's right in the same list foolish faithless heartless ruthless though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but they give approval to those who practice them. Friends, the Israelites needed this reminder that God alone is to be worshipped as creator even before he can be worshipped as redeemer. And so do we. You and I, though, are on this side of creation and on this side of the cross. And so we worship God as creator, yes, but... If your trust is solely in Jesus as your hope of salvation, 
you worship God as your redeemer. We're not left to be controlled by these passions, this list. Your, your covetousness no longer needs to be your lowercase g, God. Because Jesus has dealt with the penalty of that on the cross. Your sexual impurity If you're nervous about that or you're not sure if I'm referring to you, it probably means that God is addressing you. Your sexual impurity of many, many kinds. Your haughtiness. Your gossip. Your slander. All of this, that those who do these things know they deserve to die. For this reason, God sent his son. Because he loved the world. Loved his creation that he had made. His only begotten son, God sent into the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Would not die this this death that every one of us deserves to die. That whoever might believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. So we worship God as creator. And I pray that if you're here today, you worship God as your redeemer. The Israelites need the reminders. The, the Christians in Paul's day needed the reminders. And you and I need the reminders, which is why when Jesus was on this earth, he gave us the Lord's Supper. Remember, Israel spoke through Moses, who was their visible, visible, visual, visible representation of God's word to them. Moses went away, and they're like, ah, we need to make a God. We need to make a God. Hey, everybody, give us your gold. Everybody takes off their earrings, and, their, and they bring them all together, and then they what? They put it in the fire, and they, and they fashioned a calf. Moses comes down. God's like, this is not in my notes, by the way. I'm kind of ad-libbing at this point. Because it's, it's grievous, but it's hilarious. Because it's true. It's sad. Because it's true. God says, Moses, we're going to have to finish this later. Because they're crazy. Moses goes down, breaks the Ten Commandments. What are you guys doing? Well, everybody just, we took the gold, we tossed it in, and out came a calf. Oh, you mean you didn't contribute to the making of this idol that you are worshiping? As we'll see in a a few weeks, God says to Adam, where are you? Well, I was hiding because I was afraid. Well, why? Well, this woman you gave me. What? Oh, Eve, tell me what's going (laughs) on. I've seen people do this all over. Uh, Eve. Tell me what's going on. Well, the serpent, you see, we just pass the buck all the way down. That's why we need the Lord's Supper to remind us that Jesus, the perfect holy creator, came to this earth, not born of, a, of, of any uh, 
man that contributed to Mary's pregnancy, but through the Holy Spirit, was born perfectly, lived perfectly, did everything right that he was supposed to do, didn't do anything that he wasn't supposed to do, and of his own will gave up his life on Calvary so that we can pour our hearts in worship and praise to him today. If that's what you believe, and you've confessed this to the Lord, come and enjoy celebrating the Lord's Supper. Thank him for this reminder. Use it to, to, to push you toward worshiping him as a wholehearted follower of Christ. And say, Lord, what am I worshiping of your creation? You made it all for your glory. And yet I've taken it, morphed it into what I think I need it to be because I can't, I'm not walking in faith and I worship this thing, this person, this creation, when only you are to be worshiped. We have two stations up front you're welcome to come to. We have uh, gluten-free communion here and then we've got two stations in the back. You may want to just take a few minutes and pray and say, Lord, you're convicting me of some things in my life. You may want to run and come and take communion and say, oh boy, I need this reminder. Thank you, Lord. You may have something that you need to get right with somebody in this uh, church family. You, you may have been gossiping about somebody. Well, it's not gossip, it's true. That's actually the very definition of gossip. The other is slander, but it's not mince words, it's something. You may need to repent. You may need to go make it right with the one you've sinned against. You may want to just encourage somebody. All of these things are appropriate for us during communion. Let's use this time as the Lord has uh, put it on your heart and as the Holy Spirit uh, moves you, animates you in your heart to worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, praise you for who you are. You alone are worthy of worship and honor and praise as our creator, even before we worship you as redeemer. We love you, Father. And we know that even as we love you, we don't love you like we ought. And we praise you for that, that you don't kick us to the curb when we fail, when we flounder, when we intentionally run headlong away from you. You are so gracious and kind. Oh, Lord, please don't let us just go through the motions. Convict us. Comfort us for those who need comfort. Restore those for those who need restoration. We love you because of who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.